You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our first guest today is Craig Cook. He is CEO of Rhythm. You know, teamwork and collaboration are just two of the most important factors it takes to make sure a business can offer their clients what they need. And with a little bit of magic from Rhythm, brands and businesses are able to succeed utilizing their three pillars of strategy, design, and technology. I'd like to thank our sponsors who bring us this show every week, Center Club, Community Bank, Decision Toolbox, Executives Unlimited, MBN Design, SNH Rubber, Strategic Market Intelligence, SunUp Group, TN Company, Tone Software, Turn Up the Volume, and UPS Protection. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs who are running middle market firms, to improve your decision making skills. To connect with me on LinkedIn, I am Richard Rick Franzi. CEO Peer Groups is my Twitter handle. And on your favorite podcasting software, type these four words Critical Mass Radio Show. You'll get our weekly updated shows. And, of course, don't miss our YouTube channel, which is simply titled Richard Franzi. Craig, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick. Glad to be here. Let's start by talking about your firm. Can you tell us a little bit about Rhythm? Sure, sure. We're a local digital marketing agency uh, located in Irvine, uh, right a few minutes down from Irvine Spectrum area. And what we do, as far as the, the quick elevator speech, is we create what we call integrated marketing solutions with the digital core. And we leverage our three pillars of sophisticated strategy, experience design, and elegant technology to create these, these solutions. And why do clients, well, prospects who become clients, pick you? So really, in today's business environment, it's being driven by technology. So there's a big uh, paradigm shift uh, when you compare say, the 20th century paradigm of, of marketing and advertising, which is more interruption-based, to more this 21st century approach driven by technology, which empowers the, the consumer or the customer, the audience. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, you have to have a lot of technologies that are in play that allow these audiences to opt in, give permission, for example. They're really out there looking for information and point, and you have to be there. There's the Google uh, touts uh, their zero moment of truth marketing methodology, which is really relevant in today's space. So really, they're coming to us for 21st century solutions okay. to 21st century problems. So knowing what you know and having been in this space for a while, are is technology making it easier for small and middle market companies to reach prospects or harder? That's a great question. Both, actually. So yes, easier in that you can do so much more uh, with less reach many more people you can have more personalized conversations with people treat people more on a uh, relate to them on a more personal level as opposed to in the past when everyone was just a number so that's great it's easier to do that uh, cheaper than before but the challenge is that there's so many options to choose from the landscape has just ballooned over you know this past 20 years that I've, i've been at this you know, I feel like it's the late 90s all over again you know, with uh, the way social media has ballooned over the past five years and then with mobile, all the mobile devices as well. There's just all the combinations and platforms and channels and options out there. It's just endless. So it complicates the world. And we're talking with Craig Cook. He is CEO of Rhythm. So you're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show. Is it ever going to get to a steady state or is it just, to me, it feels like it keeps accelerating almost. Technology okay. just keeps begetting itself 
Yes, it, it kind of creates this sense that the cycles of time just keep getting faster and faster. Right. Right. That's what it feels like. And I think uh, technology is the big driver of that. Uh, that makes us all feel that way. Um, at times, I myself feel a, a kind of a social burnout in a sense or a platform burnout. I because, would think. Yeah, because there's just so much to choose from. I think the the industry is due for some consolidation here coming up within the next um, couple years or so. There's just so many uh, platforms out there that people are vying for for their space that the bigger players that have established themselves are going to start gobbling up. And we've actually seen that a little bit in the email marketing space. In the okay. past uh, year or two, we've seen a lot of uh, acquisitions happening with uh, Salesforce.com acquiring Exact Target, uh, IBM acquired, I believe, Eloqua. Okay. Um, and then there's uh, another one. Uh, there's some other major players that have been gobbling up all these these platform right. uh, service as a software businesses, and, and that seems to me to one bring stability to it, but then also sort of slow things down a little bit too, because right. now you have a different decision making structure and maybe a different set of goals behind that. So okay, yes, but the the thing that makes it complicated is there's this mature channel that that's developable, well, mature to a sense in internet time, right? Email permission based email marketing has been around for about a good. I don't know, maybe close to 15 years. But now there's all these other platforms around social media and different types of, of mobile marketing, uh, specific to mobile devices. Right. So it's, it's just, it's, it seems like it's endless, and that's that's where there's almost a, a platform burnout in a sense. Right. We're, we're talking here on Critical Mass Radio Show with Craig Cook. He is CEO of Rhythm, and we haven't even got off the first question, but uh, mm-hmm. it's such an interesting space. And I can see, and I can remember, I'm, I remember reading Dick Tracy when I was a kid in a comic strip, and the fact that his watch was this super unbelievable thing, and now we're suggesting that we're on the verge of something like that with all the wearable computing. But is there another frontier beyond that? When when that when that technology is that capable, do you see companies having to worry about even a different way to reach their prospects, right? Because you're mobile now, it's tablets, it's phones, it's not the watch really, although the watch is on the next horizon, right? Yes, correct. It's a it's a great way to just uh accentuate the point here that we're talking about is it's it's been the internet websites to email just to search to social media to mobile now we have wearable devices yes that is something that's going to balloon and it complicates our world even more because now there's more options more things to choose from okay well how are we going to design things for the apple watch uh okay well how do we do that what's the what's the software language that we're going to use what kind of things are capable what's a good user experience what is not a good user experience and then uh another area that i think uh, we have to keep a watch on is the whole virtual reality which in the past it seemed like oh yeah whatever more of a dream but with oculus getting their their funding and and just even in the past two to four weeks they've been getting so much press uh with the the release of their product and the software and all these games coming out and travel experiences that they're just they're just getting an enormous amount of, of traction. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes, but that could be the next frontier. Whenever I have entrepreneurs on who are in spaces like yours, I always sort of am empathetic. It must be difficult to have a client prospect population who says, I read this article, I want to use this technology. And you go, well, slow down, Francis. You know, maybe maybe it's not ready yet or, mm-hmm. right? So I, I'm sure you have customers who are pushing you guys on, on the envelope a little bit to try to use some of this technology when when maybe it's not quite ready yet. Yeah, we get a little bit of that. And actually, I, honestly, I wish we'd get a little bit more because oh. one thing that differentiates us, you know, we like to use the, say it was our philosophy and um, our approach that I mentioned earlier, but a lot of companies are starting to take take that on, this this 
three-pillar strategy design and technology approach. Okay. But um, over the years, we've always been very progressive. So we do, we do welcome the innovation, although it, it makes for, for a crazy life. But we do welcome that. And some examples of that is we were developing full-screen branded experiences back in the early 2000s for a lot of the pharma industry mm. uh, where, you know, where the tablets, that's what a tablet is. It's a full screen engaging right. user experience. And then our first responsive website uh, we did in 2009, six years ago, wow. and a responsive website for the audience that, if they're not familiar with the term, allows for uh, an optimal user experience uh, across uh, devices, desktop to tablet to smartphone. Uh, we were we did our first site back in 2009. We were advocating it, but it really hasn't been until the past two years that that's really taken off. Right. Uh, so it, it's interesting. And okay. uh, yeah, so we like to think we're, we're pretty progressive, and we do do welcome that. All right. Well, Craig Cook, let's take a break. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, I'm going to continue to ask him about kind of their intellectual property and their systems that they have and their three pillars and continue to look at your differentiation in the space. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back after just a few short messages from our sponsors. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Are you looking for your successor? Someone as dedicated and experienced in their field as you? Executives Unlimited delivers the top executive talent you need for your company's long-term success. 98% of our clients re-engage us for additional hires, and over 90% of the executives placed by us since 2007 are still in their positions or have been promoted. That's twice the industry's average retention rate. How do we do this? Dedication. Executives Unlimited believe success isn't success until it's long-term. Call us to invest in your long-term success. 562-627-3800 or visit us at executivesunlimited.com. Let our long-term success leverage yours. SNH Rubber is a manufacturing company in Fullerton, California. We specialize in custom-molded, extruded, and stamped rubber parts. If your next job requires a rubber part, we would appreciate the opportunity to quote on it. We serve aerospace, automotive, and many other industries. We work with many types of rubber, including silicone, EPDM, neoprene, buninitrile, and viton. Our quality system is ISO and AS9100 approved. Over our 47 years in business, the SNH brand has become known for superior quality, quick turnaround, and competitive pricing. Please check out our website at www.shrubber.com or call 714-525-0277. Let SNH be your ceiling solution. 
And welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Craig Cook, who is CEO of Rhythm, is our guest. And we spent the first segment, Craig, just kind of talking all things that came to my mind, stream of consciousness. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the ways that you help your clients. But first, I'd like to let all of our guests know that you can listen to this show on iTunes, Stitcher.com, Spreaker.com. Literally several hundred former guest websites, companies whose CEOs have been on our show, and they put the player on their website so that people could listen to the interview that I did with their CEO, as well as various business-oriented podcasting services. You know, each month we have several thousand downloads of the various podcasts that we make available to our audience. And so if you're listening to us live on octalkradio.net, thank you. If you'd like to become a regular listener, I'd say go to maybe iTunes or one of these other podcasting services and find our platform. All right, so tell me how... Your clients are utilizing rhythm to benefit their business. Can, can you give me a couple of different ways that you specialize in helping them? Sure, sure. Okay. So there's a kind of a one-two punch that we provide for our clients. One is marketing infrastructure, and then two is the ongoing marketing that takes place once that infrastructure has been built. So with marketing infrastructure, we take this integrated approach where uh, integrated solutions with digital at the core, meaning that there's a core central component that has to be digital and the integrated tactics that surround that that are integrated uh, could be online they could be offline uh, but there's a a core digital component so say for example the primary website corporate website uh, then it might be integrated with say email uh, marketing platform that we provide Uh, it could also be integrated with a, a crm platform so there's these various integration points and then other channels that we're using all as a solution that's that that infrastructure that has to be built okay then once that infrastructure is built then it is taking that maintaining it providing service maintenance service and support for that infrastructure but then uh, implementing marketing programs ongoing marketing programs that are utilizing these various channels to work within that infrastructure and that's the key ongoing as, yes. that, as it relates to marketing that, that's right ongoing uh, ongoing that's um, consistent from a brand experience standpoint and uh, persistent over time because it just takes multiple times. You know, people, they just don't react the first time they see something. That Sometimes it takes them seven times before they finally say, oh, yeah, I, now I have time for, for this. So in your research and experience, that has translated from the offline to the online world, it's kind of seven touches before somebody's... So so using social media doesn't make it maybe more effective necessarily. I'm, I'm not trying to say it's not worth doing. I'm just right. saying you still have to stay at it. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, it's a very good point. And question is, one thing that people get caught up on is, is the current trend, the buzz, like the buzz of social right. media. This is hot. Right, yeah. this is hot. And this, I need video. Right, this is the silver bullets that can fix all my problems, whatever the case may be. And that's really not the case. It's going to be... You have to take that and you have to bring that in as an integrated whole with everything else that you're doing. And it's that the the integration of all these different channels and tactics coming together. If they're experiencing you on the website, if they see you in a print ad, then they then they happen to be on LinkedIn and they see uh, a display ad or maybe a post uh, that's linking to your blog. You know, all these are different touch points that are making impressions and reminding them, keeping uh, you top in, of mind and in their mind. And eventually, there's going to be a trigger point that says, "Yeah, no, let me let me give these guys a call." And it, it's all about how it works together consistently and persistently. Right, and you know, um, we were talking before the show started about is this content marketing a fad or the future? And and we had kind of had that conversation, and I believe it's it, it is uh, the future, as, as you sort of said to me. One of the things that I noticed, though, even in my own work. Whenever I put the three, blah, blah, the five, it's weird how those, that title seems to pull more interest. 
I, I'm just wondering. It, it, it almost feels artificial to me sometimes mm. when people are doing that. I don't know if the human brain is wired to go, oh, short circuit, this is an easy way to learn something or what? Yeah, so I know you're talking about like a common uh, tip that people use is, is use like 10 ways to do X, yes. right, as an article title. Yes. And people, they like that, or, or three helpful hints to do Y. Right. So people uh, definitely gravitate to these simple statements that are going to, they, they feel is going to make their life better. Uh, Except when you read it and you go, that wasn't worth the time. Right, yes. So you have to deliver uh, right. value, and that's, right. that's the key is that you can have content, but is that content of value? Because if it's not, yeah, they're not going to come back. And somewhat original. Yeah, yes. I realize not everybody can be Seth Godin, and that everything right. that comes out of our mouth or out of the keyboard is pithy and worth reading. But you just can't take other people's content and curate it and be viewed as intelligent by osmosis or association. Right. Yes, original content is very important for a number of reasons. It's just what you, the point you're making. But even as uh, someone like Google takes a look at original content and gives, okay. it places much more value to that over duplicate content. They actually don't like duplicate content much because then it, it makes it harder for them to determine, okay, well, who's the original source of the content? Right. They're the ones that should really be getting the traffic because they're the source. Right. And, and, and that's one of the things that I think technology is helping us do, which I think is a great thing. It is allowing the creator to get a more reasonable amount of the benefit of the creation. You know, it's taking the people out of the chain, the middleman, the, the distribution vehicles, and minimizing their value, I think, in many times, because technology allows you to reach your audience directly. Absolutely. There's definitely this trend of the, the middleman, the broker, whatever you want to call it, that's being taken out of the equation, making everything more accessible to everybody. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's an advantage for smaller companies against bigger companies, because many times they were too small. They needed a layer or two between them and the ultimate customer because they couldn't reach them. But technology saying, no, that's not necessarily the case anymore. You can reach customers around the world now. That's right. It definitely uh, levels the playing field to a certain extent, um, depending upon the channel and so forth, because you still have to have the marketing dollars to leverage the platform that allows you to reach everybody. At least right. it is taking out one of those people that kind of hogs up you know, a portion of the pie. Right? right. So let's talk about the future for Rhythm. Where do you see, where do you and your partners, where do you see the company going? Um, we're talking about it's getting a bit crowded now where people are trying to move into your space because it's hot and valuable and people are spending money there. What's the future hold for Rhythm? Yes, that's a great question. Yes, there's a lot of uh, competitive pressures coming into the marketplace where you're starting to see all kinds of different companies saying, oh, we will offer web design services. We'll do email. We'll do your social. We'll do your search. Uh, really, uh, what we're, we're seeing is there's this whole talk about traditional media, uh, interactive or, or new media, and in about five to ten years, that's going to become irrelevant because okay. really what marketers want is companies that can really navigate, under, understand and navigate the entire space, regardless if it's online or offline. And it's, it's very daunting. It's a very daunting challenge. And you can't be everything to everybody, and you can't be an expert at everything. So that, that causes um, a quandary, right? Right. Well, I, I look at it similar to the construction industry, where the construction industry is a very mature industry. People have been building incredible structures for centuries and beyond, right? Well, you have your general contractor, and then you have all your subcontractors that are specialists mm -hmm. to help build a skyscraper, right? Well, this is the same thing. Our, our landscape has become so complex. You, you need a company that can navigate, understand and navigate the online, offline world, and yet 
they can provide the core set of services, but then work with partners right. to help in, in a transparent, open architecture manner uh, to help bring the solutions to the table and, and execute for, for clients. I think that's really the, the future, and that's what we're working on. So you, you see Rhythm at the center of that then, kind yes. of the general contractor. Right, yeah, that's that's what we're shooting for. That's why we even dropped the word interactive from okay. our name because we okay. used to be known as Rhythm Interactive, but now we're just Rhythm. And, and the reason being, it's, it's Rhythm Integrated Marketing Solutions with the Digital Core. Nice. See how you said Here you can tell your brand strategy work that's paying off there. Um, I like to ask my guests when we have time about their guiding principle, Craig Cook. And I'm talking with Craig Cook, who's CEO of Rhythm. Uh, I view in term kind of guiding principle as the overarching philosophy that you have that you're, you've used to lead and grow the brand and the firm. Can you share with our audience your guiding principle? Sure. Personally, for me, it's to always do your best and be accountable. Okay. That's that's very, very important. And at Rhythm, we do foster um, a positive Rhythm brand culture. We, re- we really work hard on that. We've actually been voted best places to work by our staff um, in Orange County Business Journal to recognize that for two years in a row. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's it's really having uh, really nurturing that culture and and you know that's one of the aspects but you know we have all kinds of uh, values and attributes and our brand personality and we even have what we call our our um, our code which is kind of like a mantra in a sense mm-hmm. instead of uh, mantras that are all about you know we respect the opinions of others things like that all these guiding principles so there's a lot more than just one but personally for me is you know to always do your best and, and be accountable because I think accountability is missing quite a bit in yes. the marketplace today. Uh, Peter Drucker, I, 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 I'm, I'm a fan of Peter Drucker's thinking and work, and I'm paraphrasing now, but um, he had an article where he basically said that is the key to long-term success. That's right, and the leadership. Yes, yes. If people will as long as if things happen. We're all human. We can make mistakes, and there's going to be bumps in the road. It's how you handle those bumps is yes. what matters. Yes. And if, if you're going to make things right. People can continue to trust you yes. and, and come back. Yes. And it's hard to build trust and earn it. It's easy to lose it. That's right. And then it's really hard to regain it. That's right. Because they're always waiting for you to yes, break some, the trust again. Some people just won't even allow you to right. regain yeah, it. Yeah, you never get a second chance. Right. All right. If someone would like to learn more about Rhythm, Craig Cook, how do they find you online? Okay, well, um, I assume you have a website. Yes, our website is rhythmagency.com, and rhythm is R-H-Y-T-H-M. I have to spell it out because... Took us a few weeks to get it right when we first started twenty years ago, believe it or not. Uh, twenty years. <laughs> yeah, twenty. We're coming up on twenty years in uh, January of um, of two thousand sixteen. It'll be twenty years. Well, we'll have to have you back and talk about how the world has changed. Yeah, I'd love great. to do like a hit, what it was like twenty years ago and what it's like now and how you've had to. I mean, the changing the name is just one mm-hmm. aspect of how you have to keep reformating, formulating your business model. Right? That'd be a great discussion. Okay. That'd be a very fun discussion. Okay, we're going to do that then. Okay. It's a date, Jan- January. All right. Well, thank you for being a friend of the program. Welcome to the Critical Mass community. Continued success. Oh, thank you very much, Rick. Uh, it's very happy to be here. Me too. It was a great t- time flew. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a short break, and Stephen Buster is going to be on our show. He's the CEO of Pacific Mercantile Bank. In just a few minutes, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these words. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. 
a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plans and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Successfully navigating the changing world of public relations and digital marketing requires an experienced, tenacious, yet gracious team. In business for more than 20 years, Orange County-based and Company delivers big agency results with personalized service. For more information, call us at 714-536-8407 or visit us online at tnco.me. He used to pester me for a walk. Now, it's the other way around. Hoag's physicians perform more orthopedic procedures than any other hospital in Orange County. Our orthopedic program, in fact, ranks among the top five in the entire country. So whatever it is you live for, you can get back to it sooner. Because as it turns out, the best part of life is simply living it. Hogue for life. Visit us at www.hogue.org. And welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. If you listen to our show via iTunes, I would ask you to take a minute to write a review. And if you would like to find us on iTunes, simply type in these four words, Critical Mass Radio Show. We're also on Stitcher, Spreaker, literally several hundred former guest websites whose CEO has been on our show and our company has put the player somewhere on their website, as well as uh, different podcasting services. Each month we have several thousand downloads of the various shows that we've done that month. You know, with multiple executive positions held at various banks and bank groups, Steve Buster is now the CEO and president of Pacific Mercantile Bank. His background and previous experience is just the start of what makes him the perfect fit as CEO of Pacific Mercantile Bank. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rick. I'm delighted to be here. Let's talk a little bit about your background. Well, tell me about your path to your current role. Well, I really started banking because I had no idea what I wanted to do for a living back in 1973. I graduated with an MBA from USC okay, and uh, went into a training program at United California Bank at the old Sixth and Spring head office in downtown Los Angeles. So thinking I would probably move out of there in a couple of years once I found an industry type of company that I really wanted to work with, uh, I'd move on in my career. Well, Dad, coming if I didn't really like what I was doing, and I stayed there until they sold me like a baseball player. That was 27 years later. They sold my division. Wow. 
Uh, I had uh, about every possible job in that bank, and it was a wonderful place to train, uh, including assignments in Beverly Hills where they throw the book at you with all types of uh, unique opportunities of financing Okay. Uh, and big syndications. I was international in capital markets. They sent me to London for five years, hmm. uh, and I was – That's a uh, valuable experience, isn't it? Oh, you know, I was just in my 30s. When they sent oh, me, what a great time. and we had a uh, $2 billion branch. Look at you. And there are 480 banks in one square mile, and except wow. for ours, maybe, they send their best people from around the world. So you really learn right. a lot right. uh, from being with those folks. Um, International was uh, very, very unique, very special, and you are a CEO, even though you're a branch manager, because everything in a foreign country like that is your responsibility. Okay. So if the Bank of England's upset about something, you're on the mat. And uh, the regulators, we had our own pension fund in uh, in Sterling hmm. for the employees. Um, uh, we ran in four currencies, we had to run all those books. It was a wonderful opportunity to be a CEO without yet being one technically. Right, yeah. You get experience beyond the title. Exactly. Right, get it. Eventually, I came back to Los Angeles, and they sold my division, which was International and Capital Markets, to Standard Chartered Bank. It was headquartered in London. It used to own Union Bank here in California okay. and some other banks uh, in Arizona, other places. It's a major international bank, one of the top banks in Asia Pacific, headquartered in London. It's English by background. It grew up in the 1800s from really the colonies, and it was a central bank in a lot of places as uh, Britain had Mm. laid out colonies throughout the world. So it was all over Africa, all over Asia. I went to Singapore and uh, spent five years there. London, Singapore, Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. nice tours of duty. So it was terrific. So ultimately I found myself, it was a huge job. I had 2,000 people in Asia Pacific that reported into my group, which was uh, corporate banking. Uh We did all the trade finance, other things. My job was to travel every week in one of the countries in Asia Pacific. I'd meet with the Minister of Finance on some occasions, the head of the central bank, and call on customers and our our own people. It was a fantastic job. But ultimately, how was I ever going to get home? Right. So finally, I moved home, and uh, uh, I looked for a new position in California, and I got a very unusual call from Gil Garcetti, who was the district attorney at the time for Los Angeles County, And he said, Steve, I know you very well. You don't know me, but I need you. Hmm. I said, well, what in the world for? He says, well, you're going to be assistant DA. Well, I'm not even a DA. I'm not even an attorney. Okay. Well, he made me the chief operating officer. Wow. And uh, the reason for this was uh, they had a program for child support collection that the DA ran. Uh, There were 1,800 people, I think, that collected child support. And uh, it was getting very bad publicity. And so I promised to do community service for two years and fix it. And I had the backing of all the supervisors. Uh, They Mm. all approved me. And Gil let me have my hand to be able to merge private sector techniques with public sector business. And it was a fascinating assignment for two years. I really enjoyed it. And we had great success. And 
I think Gill was very, very happy with the end result, which was no more on the front page of the newspapers. It right. was working very well. Nice. So how did you end up here with Pacific Mercantile Bank? Then? Well, uh, next job was U.S. Trust. I had the Western U.S. for banking of U.S. Trust. I got a call from a community bank uh, uh, president and CEO who was a longtime friend. He said, there's a bank up in Northern California, and I know uh, you're not looking, but please talk to them. You will love it. Well, I've always been a big bank. Right, yeah. Wow. When I went up there, I fell in love with community banking, and I became the CEO of Mechanics Bank. It was a little over $3 billion. Uh I was there for nine years and then retired. And um, I uh, went on a cruise with my wife, and we had a wonderful time. And we got back in the airport, and I made the mistake of uh, answering my phone that was uh, vibrating in my pocket at the airport. And it was a wonderful man named Ed Carpenter. And uh, he said, Steve, um, I know you're retired, but we just bought uh, 38% of the largest um, local bank in Orange County. Right. And uh, we want you to come run it and help us fix this. Okay. And uh, so I was retired for six weeks. And went right <laughs> At least back got a cruise work. in. <laughs> and uh, if Jeez. I knew how hard this would be... I'd do it again. It's really been a fun ride. So okay. I've been there for two years. That's for two years now. There. Oh, mm-hmm. congratulations. And we're talking with Steve Buster. I can call you Steve, right? Please do. Okay, he's president and CEO of Pacific Mercantile Bank. What is, for, for the audience who may not be familiar with the current Pacific Mercantile Bank, tell me a little bit about why clients do business with the bank. We are a business bank. Uh, it's not retail. It is strictly a business bank. And uh, there's a lot of sources for money today. But there's something more that people want if they pick a bank carefully. Um, We focus on small and medium-sized businesses. And those businesses often started up, say, 10 years ago. They've grown very quickly. The CFO is often um, unsophisticated. Uh, Maybe he was more of a controller type, but the company's gotten bigger. It's family-owned. They need a partner. They need someone to help advise them on the financial outlook and and how to improve their business. That's what we provide. So we use what's called consultative sales. They bank with us. We're not the cheapest, but we give them insights and help on their modeling for finance, okay. um, on products that they're going to need. We have all the big bank toys of products, online banking, mobile banking, you name it, we've got it. Okay. But we provide all of the help and expertise as a financial partner for those companies. So our big competition, of course, is big banks. They give very inexpensive money, but they change people often. And I find most clients or prospects don't like dealing with the big banks. They do because they're convenient and they're there and they have money. But they really would love a community bank that really takes them on as a partnership in advising and helping them do their business. So that is our niche, and we are fortunate to be growing very rapidly at that. Is this, has the value proposition of Pacific Mercantile Bank, and I'm talking with Steve Buster, has it changed in the two years that you've been leading it? Was this the bank that you took over two years ago? No. Uh, unfortunately, we were a bank uh, in deep distress because of the um, Great Recession. Yes. Uh, the bank was dominantly a investor-type um, real estate financer for buildings, uh, various places, and including uh, uh, a great deal of construction lending, and it got in terrible trouble. Okay. So the recession hit the bank very hard. 
since I've been there, uh, we've completely restructured the strategic plan into what we saw CNI, commercial and industrial lending, mm-hmm. away from real estate. We do real estate, but we're not in the construction lending business. We have a sort of de-emphasized investment real estate. And now we do relationship banking. That's the key for us today. So the strategy is different. The people are different. Uh, we've cleansed the balance sheet of our problems now, and now we're profitable. That takes a while, doesn't it? It does. You know, that's the one thing that gets banks in trouble. You have bad assets. It takes years to get out of it. Right. But uh, we had orders from the Federal Reserve Bank and the state uh, in pretty serious trouble, and we've had all those released, and we're a healthy uh, institution now, Great. rapidly growing. So Great. that's what we've done in the last two years. So it's perfect timing for you to be here on the show to talk to our audience of middle market CEOs about the current version of your bank. Indeed it is, yeah. yes. Because uh, I find my clients, who are those small and middle market CEOs, they're reluctant to change their banking relationship because they feel so kind of embedded with them. It's a lot of work to move. It is. And, and you really have to want to do it. And so there has to be a compelling reason. You have got to show the proposition of real added value. Right. So let me explain how that comes about often. Um, We have all types of case studies that we could talk about. But very often, a company needs to go to the next level. They've been um, uh, borrowing along and growing, but a big contract's out there or a big opportunity. Okay, well, what's that going to look like in three or four years? If they grow too fast, they can go bankrupt. Absolutely. And they don't even realize that. They just see the opportunity of reaching for the next level of business. So we go in and we do something called Horizon Analytics. We take all of their information. We take all the industry information in their business segment. And we start showing them he, these are the types of ratios that you would expect to have for a successful business in your field. And you have to be mindful of that because if you get out of these sort of characteristics, you may find yourself with maybe even a slight recession in serious trouble. Okay. Or if you go too fast, you're in serious trouble. We do the bank modeling for them, and we help them structure um, a plan, a business plan around those opportunities. So Hmm. that's where we start showing our value. At that point, we haven't even discussed price, loans, anything else. We've just worked on a model with them, and they're very appreciative. Once they see that value added and how their relationship manager is going to be very much a part of them, that's when they start gravitating to our style of a community bank. They love it. That's excellent. All right. We're talking with Steve Buster. He is president and CEO of Pacific Mercantile Bank. We're going to take our final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. I've got a number of questions yet to ask him. I want to be asking him about the future as well, sort of where he sees the bank going and and the nature of the relationship that banks and community banks have with their clients. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back with more after these words from our sponsors. Wow. Marketing predictions are out for 2015, and marketing success is changing. Did you know that Google is now actively tracking your business and personal brand and online reputation? Online and offline marketing has changed. Google is driving more than 85% of your traffic. And if your brand is inconsistent or has poor mobile usability, your rankings and traffic can suffer in 2015. To learn how your business is currently viewed and what can be done to improve your brand's visibility and authority, Contact SunUp Group for a free marketing analysis. It could be a business game changer. Visit www.sunupgroup.com today 
or call 877-609-3840, extension 700. Are you ready to tap into the power of social media to promote your business? It's easy to get social with Turn Up the Volume, the award-winning social media marketing professionals who know how to get results. Drive web traffic, boost sales, get social today. Visit www.turnupthevolume.com. That's turnupthevolume.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Steve Buster, who is president and CEO of Pacific Mercantile Bank, is our guest. Uh, You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about... Current challenges facing the bank. Okay, you have a lot of legacy challenges, but you've got those behind you. Some of them are structural to the business. But can you can you talk to us about the community banking industry? Maybe some challenges that are facing the bank today. Well, we have plenty of challenges, Rick. That is for certain. Okay. And uh, let me start off by saying, you know, I went to a lecture of Hoover Institution, and they uh, have some marvelous speakers. He talked about Uber and Uber going into a market and comparing taxis with Uber. So taxis pay $100,000 to get their medallion, and for that they get a box that registers all of the fares that they can charge, exactly what they can charge. You can't tamper with it. You have to have a clean cab. They inspect you once in a while. And the Uber guy comes in, and he owns his own car, and he doesn't have any set fares. They can charge any level of three. Uh, This is based on supply and demand. Uh, They get woken up at uh, 11 o'clock at night because a convention broke and there's a lot of opportunity. And they say, oh, guy, I'll I'll make triple fare. Sure, I'll go out there. And Uber is now uh, absolutely humiliating the rest of the industry in terms of it's a $44 billion company, I think, 33 or $44 billion company now. And that's all been in a few years. You take uh, Airbnb. It is now... Because it matches real estate with people's needs, and it's a go-between on the Internet, you find a property you want, you go rent it, and they are now the largest hoteler in the world, and just a few bigger than Hilton or anybody, in just a, a, a few years. So what do those models have in common? Well, they are both built on a model around regulation. They circumvent regulation, and that's how they win. Well, banking has so much regulation, right. it's almost unbelievable. And so when I make a loan, I've got reserves i got to keep, CRA responsibilities I have to keep, fair lending regulations. I've got examiners in constantly, and we pay FDIC insurance. And on the Internet, they're going with sources of funds with people with excess liquidity and matching borrowing needs, and people think, hey, I'm going to put my money direct in there and get a higher return because the company, same companies are going to borrow and they're going to pay me all of it. Why get a little deposit? Right. Well, this is going to work great. 
so long as we have a good, healthy economy. But there are new models. How, as an investor into that, do you know the algorithms they're using to lend are going to be good ones? Those loans could go bad. And so we're challenged with this right now, but I think it's a freight train that's going to have problems. Mm. And ultimately, the community bank added value of being the responsible partner with that business is going to prove worthy. But we've got to fight this off for now. Right. So we don't think we're taxi cab drivers, even though it looks like it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It never ends, does it? There's, it does not end. Yeah. It's just the technology can be your friend, but it can also enable new business models. You know, one of the things I'd uh, like to talk about with some of my guests is the term we use, guiding principle. You know, of all the things you've learned, Stephen, over your time running leading organizations, you know, have you developed kind of an overarching philosophy or belief system that you're now using with Pacific Mercantile Bank? And if so, would you share that with our audience? What I have found works the best over the years. You know, you're always tempted, make a loan. Maybe you can hit a very high rate uh, temporarily or charge a lot. for. I tell our people, always do the right thing. You know what it is. You know what it is in terms of treating your other uh, people, your associates well. You know what it is in terms of how you manage the relationship you have with borrowers. Always do the right thing. That includes the right thing for your shareholders. So life is a balance, isn't it? And if we always do the right thing with that balance in mind, things work out to the best. Your long-term prospects are far better than if you just take advantage of opportunities because they're there. Right, so much more of a relationship than a transaction philosophy. It sure is. All right. We're talking with Steve Buster. He is the president and CEO of Pacific Mercantile Bank. What's the future hold? Two years in, I'm not sure how much longer you want to be there. That almost doesn't matter. But where do you see taking the bank under your leadership and stewardship? Our bank is generating some wonderful special niches that I think we're going to capitalize in a strong way in the next number of years. One of them, believe it or not, is the entertainment industry. Now, our footprint is Beverly Hills, down to La Jolla. We're out in Ontario, uh, Costa Mesa, and uh, Newport Beach, um, Hacienda Heights. We, We have a wonderful footprint. And within that footprint, there are specialties that are developing for that community. Okay. So in Beverly Hills, we have this entertainment industry. We finance films. There are probably only six or seven banks that even know how to do it. We are one of them that does it very well. We will finance a production into the can, and we get a commitment for delivery of a distribution from a distribution company of what they will pay once the film gets in the can. Uh Now, this is intensely documentary in nature. You have to know who you can deal with, who you can't. You can imagine the movie industry can be pretty slippery. Right. You've got to know who you're dealing with, deal with the right people. We're good at it. We make very good margins in it. We provide a real added value. It's short-term in nature, about year-type loans, uh-huh. and we're growing rapidly. And some of the others are maybe losing their focus a little bit that have provided that service. So we see that as a very fast-growing long-term niche. Asset-based lending is another one. We have uh, technology as an area that we seem to be thriving in right now. Hmm. Um, And um, there's a competitor, not really a competitor, but BridgeBank is up in Northern California. They have done that in Silicon Valley. Well, around UCI and other things, there's some very high-tech stuff going in. And we have people mainly recruited from Silicon Valley Bank. We have five people from there that have background in this and are very good at it. So we're developing especially okay. in a niche to finance the technology area. And it's surprising. 
games and other things that were developed. You know, you see kids playing them all the time. And entertainment, they're starting to fuse together. Right. Uh, I, I go down the freeway and I see a big billboard. And I think it's a new movie coming out. No, it's a game. <laughs> right. Sometimes okay. commercials on TV, they, they think it's a new movie and it's a game. It, exactly. Well, these games are financed in a similar way of milestones and an ultimate sale to somebody that wants to buy it and distribute it. And we know how to okay. do that. So we're applying that to that field as well. These are going to be good specialties for Pacific Mercantile Bank. Wow. So that's not what I expected to hear from you. And uh, I think that's an interesting addition to being a solid citizen in the community and being a trusted advisor in a community bank. Well, I can't emphasize community enough. You're a community radio. Right. We are a community bank. Right. And, you know, we have a fiduciary responsibility. When we take in excess deposits in this community, we want to circulate them back to the community where it goes into thriving, high-expectation businesses that employ people and, and, and build a quality of life. Right. It's our job. And so we take great aim to see that these monies are recycled back. We don't move it to Brazil because that's a better markup right now. Right. We stay right here, and we circulate our deposits into that uh, economy. Right, and the domino effect of a, of a smart investment like that and a smart loan to a good entrepreneur and business person who hires people, who buys goods, I mean, that dollar just keeps getting recirculated in the community, doesn't it? We have a model we talk about called the virtuous circle. There's four pieces to it. The first is employees are most important asset. Okay. I have found people are not respectful of their employer anymore. They jump jobs with just another dollar. Well, why is that? It's because businesses started treating them like commodities. Right. Well, you get what you what you do. Right. We really take our employees seriously. We try and develop their careers. We want to work with them so that they have a, a, a an attachment to the bank. Right. So that is my most important step is to build trust with our people. So we talk about values all the time. Now, what I find is when you treat your employees that way, they do the same with the clients mm-hmm. because that is the way we work. They treat our clients with respect. They bank with you, and you get loyalty from them, and you get all the products from them because they're treated with respect and care, and your people aren't turning over all the time like some of the big banks. Right. We have people longer term, and they work with our clients. And if that goes well, the community thrives. And that is what it's all about, employing people and a healthy community. And the last group is our shareholders. They benefit from those other three pieces working. And that's the virtuous circle. I love it. And I think it's in the right order, too. So if I can add my editorial on top of that. If someone wants to learn more about your bank, how do they find you online, sir? Well, we have uh, websites, PMBank, that's PacificMercantileBank.com. Simple enough. Love to have visitors. In fact, we're putting out a new one next month. I think they're going to really like it. State-of-the-art new one. Congratulations. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for being a friend of the program and a part of the critical mass community here. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap up this show. If you're listening to us live and you don't have anything to do in a half hour, meet me at Brandman University at the Irvine campus. We're having a, a panel discussion. We're going to talk about funding for early stage companies i think you would enjoy the conversation if you're an entrepreneur or you're thinking about starting a business this would be a good hour to spend with me at brandman university i would like to thank our advertisers center club community bank decision toolbox executives unlimited mbn design snh rubber strategic market intelligence sunup group t and company tone software 
Turn up the volume and UPS protection. Uh, to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm Richard Rick Franzi. CEO Peer Groups is my Twitter handle. On your favorite podcasting software, type in Critical Mass Radio Show, and you'll get our weekly shows. If you'd like to learn more about my business, it's criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Until the next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi.